Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of This Is Automation. I'm Corey Dallas, your host. Today we're going to be talking about OPC UA TSN. Um, many of you may not even know what that is, uh, but we'll talk all about OPC UA, uh, the OPC Foundation, what is TSN, uh, how do you use this technology, and, and a little bit of the history of the technology, kind of why we even need this. Uh, so to do that, uh, I'm going to set the scenes, uh, go back to the 1990s. Uh, so, you know, I pulled up the Wikipedia page for the 90s and I was uh, reliving some some moments. So, I mean, think back. The highest grossing films of the 1990s, Titanic, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, arguably the best Star Wars movie of all time. Jurassic Park, Independence Day, I mean, Will Smith is in his prime. I mean, Pulp Fiction, there's so many good things happening in the 90s. Mariah Carey, Nirvana, Spice Girls, Dr. Dre, lots of really good music being made. We've got amazing TV, Roseanne, Friends. We've got lots of really, really, really good things happening in the 90s. But there was uh, some bad things happening in the 90s too, you know, besides the fashion and, and all sorts of other things. But one of the worst things that happened in the 90s is the field bus wars. And the field bus wars are still raging on now today. We're, we're getting close to a peace treaty. But if you don't know what the field bus wars are, we're going to talk all about that. But go get your, your Sony Walkman, pump some Mariah Carey, go watch The Phantom Menace, get in the 1990 zone, and then come back right after this short break. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the little trip down memory lane into the 1990s. And now let's talk about the field bus wars. So before we even talk about field bus wars, we should probably address what a field bus is in general. Uh, so a field bus, kind of simply put, is basically a communication protocol that's specifically designed for the automation industry. So typically, uh, these have extensions for real-time communication, but that's not necessarily true. Uh, they don't always. Some of the, you know, the, the biggest ones actually don't have that, um, but, but in most cases, they will have that. Um, the field bus was, was originally designed to replace these traditional 4 to 20 milliamp uh, communication schemes and, and some other types of networks as well. Um, because a field bus can... Uh, basically theoretically connect every device on the network uh, with a single set of wires, uh, the complexity of these old like 4 to 20 milliamp networks could be like really drastically reduced. Uh, so instead of having, uh, you know, a dedicated set of cables to each parameter that you needed to transmit all over the place, um, basically with a field bus, you can send multiple parameters and diagnostics information and other information across a single set of cables. Uh, so cost and complexity obviously get drastically reduced with that. And obviously the, the capability of automation systems is, is greatly enhanced uh, with the field bus. So it's stuck. Now, usually when things stick, uh, they start to build standards around that. And that's exactly what happened with the field bus. So the first standard that defined a field bus uh, was ISA, which is the International Society of Automation. Uh, we don't really use that standard anymore. That happened in 1988. Uh, about a decade later in, uh, 
In the 90s, the IEC released IEC 61158, which I'm sure those of you in the automation industry, uh, that, that rings a bell. So that's one that we still use today. Uh, the initial release of 61158 uh, included eight different protocol types is what they called them. Later releases kept introducing more and more and more protocols. And you'll see this is kind of part of the problem, uh, why we ended up in the field bus wars and why we're in the situation we are today, uh, where there's so many field buses out there and it's really complicated to communicate between different systems. So, uh, you know, some of those protocols, just to give an example, uh, you've got things like SIP, Profibus, Heart, Ethercat, Ethernet PowerLink, uh, Modbus, Circos, so on and so forth. The 2008 release, um, based on my research, uh, had 16 different protocols uh, that they called communication profile family. So at some point they changed it from types to these CPFs. So 16 different field buses that are considered standards. Uh, so this is, uh, it creates a lot of challenges in automation systems still today. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's nice on one hand because, uh, based, I mean, virtually every major automation, uh, supplier in their field bus is, is well represented in the standard. Uh, so, so that's good for, for all of these different vendors. Um, but the problem is there's 16 different field buses that are the standard. So it's really not much of an industry standard. And, uh, there's actually a reason behind this. It's really interesting. So we'll talk about that. Uh, for just a second and then kind of move forward to the, the conversation on OPC. Um, but basically the IEC made a, a really intentional decision to do this, to include all these different field buses. Uh, so it's not really a mistake. They weren't uh, just being foolish and saying, yes, and you get a standard and you get a standard and you get a standard. Um, but that's what happened. And the reason why is the, the kind of the traditional focus of standards is all about the user. It's supposed to make it easier for, for the user of the technology uh, to implement that technology and to access it across multiple applications. Uh, that's why we have standards. So for example, uh, in your car, the gas pedal being on the right hand side is a standard so that as a user, any car that you get into is easy to understand how to operate. If every automotive manufacturer could put it on the left or the middle if you drive a clutch, uh, it would be really, really hard to, to drive cars as a user uh, while it may be more cost-effective or something for the automotive manufacturer to uh, have freedom over that design by having a standard in place. Uh, we're giving a lot of power to the user and taking some of the design freedom away from, from the uh, automotive manufacturers in that case, uh, but ultimately it, it benefits everybody because we have that standard in place. So that's the traditional focus of standards. Um, you know, and if we look at more of an automotive or a uh, automation uh, focused uh, example, uh, let's take the four to 20 milliamp standard. So we're all very familiar with it, with uh, the four to 20 standard. Um, you know, let's say instead of just one, four to 20 or zero to 20, maybe two, you can make the argument. Uh, let's say there was a four to 20, 10 to 50, 20 to 60, three to 15, um, and then add you know 12 others to kind of get yourself on the level of how many field buses there are in IEC 611.58. It would kind of be a nightmare and, and it is kind of a nightmare to, to manage these field buses. Um, so anyways, back to why the IEC did this, um, You know, when, when they legitimized all of these different field buses in their standard, uh, basically, um, in the, in the 90s, we need to look at the, what actually had just been renamed the European Union. So the European Union had basically embarked on this effort, 
um, as a part of its, you know, newly founded identity to uh, harmonize all of the member states of the EU. And part of that included standards, uh, testing and, and certification requirements, you know, reasonably so, you know, as a, as an entity, the European Union could operate much more cohesively and have, uh, you know, much more open trade and harmonization of markets if they were operating on the same standards. So to support that harmonization, basically the European Union single market program is what it was called, um, was established in 1993. And the goal of this program was explicitly to allow goods, services, capital, and people to flow more freely throughout the EU by reducing or eliminating differing requirements and standards among the member states. So the explicit goal of this single market program was to take down as many uh, barriers to trade between the member states as possible to the, the flow of uh, goods, services, capital, and people. Okay, so again, seems like a good thing for harmonizing the EU, uh, but the result of this program is that the, the kind of underlying goals of standardization itself and these certification requirements uh, kind of changed um, for the organizations that were tied to the EU, which included the IEC uh, and ISO and, and several other kind of standards organizations. So prior to the onset of the single market program, international standards were defined to benefit the user as, as we were just talking about. However, in the interest of reducing trade barriers for the member states of the EU, the benefit of the user was kind of pushed to the side. Um, and, and this is really the reason why all of these different field buses started being implemented in this way. So because of the single market program uh, in the EU and because these standards organizations had ties to that kind of uh, new standardization ideology, uh, standards started to be implemented in this way where uh, it was less about focusing on, on what's best for the user from a standardization pr perspective and more about how do we uh, reduce the barriers to trade, reduce the uh, barriers to technology for, for you know not just the member states of the EU, but, but around the world. And the easiest way to do that is standardize all the field buses. Because uh, if we standardize, standardize all the field buses, then all these different countries can make their automation systems work together, right? So it's a nice idea, uh, but basically it kind of set in, sto set in stone this, this mess of field buses that we're still kind of fighting through today. Um, and, you know, if, if you look now, fast forward to 2018, so go through your Sony Walkman and Mariah Carey CD and the garbage can, it's 2018, 2019, um, you know, we're living in the modern age, but unfortunately we're still stuck with this IEC 61158 standard uh, with these 16 different field buses. And now there's somewhere on the order of like a hundred different field buses that you could pick from uh, outside of the, the ones in 61158. So it's really a huge, huge mess. And it's really cumbersome for, um, you know, people working on automation systems to work through. So how do you pick which field bus is the right one for your application? And if you're being forced into a specific field bus because of a hardware spec or because, uh, you know, you're using a hardware from a specific manufacturer, uh, but then you've got another system that uses something else, like how do you handle that? Um, and the answer is it takes a lot of software effort and a lot of money and sometimes hardware to do all these handshakes and you end up with a lot of latency in your systems because of uh, delays in, in the network time as it goes through all of these different field buses. 
And it's really not a very cohesive, integrated type solution for automation, uh, especially as we move more towards these highly synchronized, uh, you know, really time sensitive applications where network times, you know, where, you know, milliseconds uh, or, or things on the order of milliseconds was not an issue maybe 10 years ago. Uh, in some cases it was, but, but now it's becoming more and more an issue as, as we try to, you know, squeeze performance uh, out of our machines in, in every way possible. So we've got this mess. How do we clean it up? The answer is kind of more simple than you might think. We just uh, take all those and kind of throw them away and move to a new standard. So that's what OPC UA is all about. So OPC UA is a single standardized field bus communication that is structured to basically end the field bus wars. So OPC UA is so well designed um, that not just me, but actually a large number of automation companies think that it will not only end the field bus wars, but it will kind of you know, wipe the slate clean for industrial communication protocols. And uh, basically because it's got all this interoperability and, and user benefits, um, you know, at its core, the core of the technology, it's really ideal for automation and everyone's kind of getting on board with this technology, especially with the implementation of TSN, which we'll, we'll talk about what that is. So kind of what we're expecting, you know, in an ideal world, of course, this will happen, but, you know, over time, OPC UA, will replace every industrial field bus as the standard industrial communication protocol. So, you know, in, in a short few years, uh, you know, PLC brand A and PLC brand B, which used to have two different communication protocols, will likely have OPC UA at least as an option so that you can communicate freely between those two and you don't need to buy any third-party hardware or implement complicated communications libraries just to send data back and forth, uh, you know, on a line or, you know, at the field level or at the cloud level. Um, it's going to be a really fully-fledged solution that handles all of those different use cases. So now that we understand the field bus wars and a little bit of the history of why we need a standard industrial field bus like OPC UA, let's take a look at where OPC UA came from and what the OPC Foundation is all about. So uh, OPC UA is actually the kind of second iteration or second generation of the OPC standard. Uh, so the OPC standard itself was first released in 1996. Um, which you'll notice it's kind of ironically right in the time when IEC, IEC 61158 was being released. Um, but basically it was originally designed as a way to abstract PLC specific protocols into a standardized interface to allow simple communication with HMIs and SCADA systems. So it wasn't really originally designed to be a universal communication protocol for PLC to PLC communication or field device to PLC communication or, uh, you know, plant level communication or cloud level communication. It wasn't really designed for any of that. It was just uh, designed to be used as an interface between any PLC and, uh, you know, HMIs and SCADA systems. So OPC was originally restricted to Windows, which is where it gets its name. So OPC actually stands for uh, Object Linking and Embedding for Process Control. Uh, so OPC, so it's already, it's got uh, an acronym with, within an acronym, uh, which are the best kinds of acronyms. Um, so the, the original specifications of OPC, which I just described, are called OPC Classic now. 
So basically, as time went on, the OPC standard uh, couldn't really meet the security and data modeling needs of the industry. So uh, OPC Unified Architecture uh, was released. It's a, a standard based on OPC Classic, um, but it addressed all of these uh, kind of new concerns that were coming up in the industry to, to develop a future-proof platform uh, for industrial communication. So OPC UA, like I just said, it takes the functionality of OPC Classic and adds a whole bunch more capability. Uh, so you've got things like server discovery, subscription, server-defined methods, platform independence, security, uh, advanced information modeling, so on and so forth. And the really, really beautiful part about OPC UA is that this is all built on an extensible framework, which means that o the OPC UA standard that is uh, out now uh, can implement new transport protocols. It can implement new security algorithms. It can implement new encoding standards. It can uh, you know, do all these things basically uh, to improve the standard and keep it up to date with uh, all of the latest security um, and, and protocol enhancements while maintaining backwards compatibility with the existing implementations of OPC UA. So that's super, super powerful. So you don't really have to worry about, yeah, but what if this, uh, you know, changes, uh, you know, security is a big topic now. So I, mean, I don't really want to use this OPC UA stuff because, you know, this, this security stuff's all going to change. You know, we're just going to keep using Ethernet IP and, and then do all this hacky uh, communication protocol conversion. You don't have to worry about that because OPC UA has been really, really well designed to make sure that they can implement all these sorts of changes while maintaining compatibility with systems that are built on OPC UA of today. <clears throat> so we, we're only kind of halfway through the acronym of OPC UA TSN. So uh, the, the TSN part of it is uh, time-sensitive networking, and it's kind of the exact same evolution that happened from OPC to OPC UA. So OPC UA, great. It's been around for, for a little bit now, and there's some applications that use it, um, but it doesn't have real-time capabilities. So it's a big kind of weakness of OPC UA. Um, so OPC UA implemented over TSN is going to, allegedly, it has solved that issue. So TSN, again, time-sensitive networking is an extension of the IEEE, which is the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, uh, if you, you don't happen to know that, but the IEEE 802 Ethernet standard. Um, so TSN basically allows for determinism over networks that are defined within IEEE 802, which is kind of a mouthful. But basically, all you need to know is that it is a way for uh, a standard way for um, uh, networks to have determinism over standard Ethernet. And so when we say determinism, well, what does that mean? Um, in this case, it, it basically implies guaranteed packet transport with bounded low latency, low packet delay variation, and low packet loss. Okay, so by implementing OPC UA over TSN, we get all of the benefits of OPC UA, which we touched on lightly, um, you know, being things like security, built-in user roles, built-in units, uh, you know, standard data modeling, so on and so forth, uh, security, extensible framework, all this really, really powerful stuff. And it's also accessible, but now you get the benefit of determinism. So this is where OPC UA is really, really becoming powerful, is now we've got this awesome, well-designed protocol that's available in a deterministic way. So this is huge for industrial automation companies, and this is why you've got companies like BNR, like Rockwell, like Siemens, like Mitsubishi, like Beckoff, all getting on board the OPC UA TSN 
Shapers Group. So the Shapers Group is uh, basically a group of industrial automation uh, companies uh, that are helping to define the OPC UA TSN product or standard. Um, and so you could reasonably draw the conclusion that all of these companies are planning to implement OPC UA TSN into their products. And that is happening, um, you know, at, at some trade shows and, and such already, they've uh, started to display some of the capabilities of the system. And it's really, really impressive. So as we continue to forge ahead into modern industrial automation, where things like inter-system connectivity and IIoT are really, really important, the need to move away from this mess of field buses is becoming more and more important. And what we need is a unifying communication protocol. And we need it really bad, to, to, to be honest. So OPC UA TSN is now making that possible. We finally have a standard that is good enough, that is open enough, that is agnostic enough, um, that is secure enough to, to do that, to, to be the standard that uh, Rockwell is willing to get on board with it, that BNR is willing to get on board with it, that Siemens is willing to get on board with it. So, and, and that's just a small list, to, to be honest with you. Virtually every uh, major player in, in automation is on board with this technology. So you can more or less argue that the field bus wars are pretty much over and 100% interoperability between platforms is not that far away, which is really, really awesome. So what we're expecting to see in the future is really exciting. But before we talk about that, let's take a very short break and I'll be right back. OPC Foundation basically has made it clear what its initial priorities will be. Um, so the, the first one is multi-vendor controller-to-controller integration, which means uh, communicating between two different controllers uh, across different platforms. And then the other thing is vertical, vertical communication from field devices to upper levels. Um, so again, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory. That's communication from a field-level device into upper levels uh, whatever level that may be. Um, so that's really promising that those are the, the two initial focuses because those are kind of the biggest gaps in the technology that we have today. Uh, we don't really have excellent ways to communicate between uh, uh, different vendors, controllers. There, there are ways, don't get me wrong, but there's not really any good integrated ways. So to have this be a priority is, is really strong. And then, uh, you know, on the flip side, to, to have vertical communication uh, as another focus, that's going to help with things like IoT, which uh, is a buzzword that gets everybody uh, really excited. Um, there's currently, uh, from, from what I saw, at least three major test beds that are currently active uh, that, that include companies like BNR, like Rockwell, like Siemens, so on and so forth. Um, and the work groups and steering committees um, that, that are not only the OPC Foundation, but also uh, industrial automation companies um, are basically shaping the direction of the OPC UATSN standard and its implementation. So uh, what does the future with OPC UATSN look like? Well, um, you know, basically due to the consistency of the information models uh, that OPC UA is built on for IO, for motion control, safety, etc., um, there's going to be 
really, really good interoperability between different automation systems. So it's not just, you know, the same communication protocol, like as far as they're speaking the same language, um, but they're also structuring their data in the same way, which is huge. This is super, super powerful. So, uh, you know, it's not just opening that channel of communication, um, but it's having a structured way to communicate between, uh, you know, these multiple vendors and into the cloud and so on and so forth. So again, you know, IO, motion control, safety, uh, so on and so forth, all have standard data models that are built around them that can be implemented on multiple vendors um, so that you can share this data in a really standard uh, way. This is huge, huge, huge. Um, the other thing is basically the days of, uh, you know, communication gateways, these kind of uh, little devices that you put in your cabinet uh, for the purpose of protocol conversion. Um, you know, these special pieces of hardware that, that just translate field buses, that's all they do. Um, you know, that's, that's going to be a thing of the past, honestly. So, um, and then on the flip side, you know, if you've got a PLC that's smart enough to handle it, a lot of PLCs uh, have communication libraries uh, that, that can just do this in software with, you know, the, the Ethernet port on the PLC. You're not going to have to deal with those libraries anymore. So all these kind of confusing libraries where you've got to, uh, you know, open and close communications with different uh, clients and so on and so forth. You don't have to even worry about that anymore. So that's also really nice. So it's going to make development time way, way faster, um, especially uh, for people that are that are dealing with, um, you know, multi-vendor solution. You're also no longer going to have to, uh, you know, play the balancing act of which field bus to use to get optimal for performance, you know, in, in, you know, this scenario or, you know, market support for field level devices um, or to meet end user specs. Hopefully we're going to see all of that kind of shift towards OPC UA TSN where, you're not going to have to make that decision when it's like, well, you know, we, we use, uh, you know, Ethernet PowerLink, for example, for all of our motion control because it's really awesome at, at motion control. But, uh, you know, we want to use EtherCAT because uh, there's a sensor that, that has EtherCAT built in. You don't have to make that decision or, or make the, uh, you know, uh, even less favorable decision of, well, we're going to use Ethernet PowerLink for our servo drives and EtherCAT uh, for this one sensor. So then we'll just have a communication uh, protocol conversion and it's going to be awesome. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that, uh, thankfully. So you don't really have to play that game of, you know, yeah, we like this field bus because of this and this one because of this. And maybe we'll use this one here. And, and you've got all these different tools to implement them. And it's very confusing and, and hard to manage. Um, it's all going to be OPC UATSN, hopefully uh, not too much longer. Uh, so the other thing that's huge uh, especially for those of you that, that are servicing machines uh, or working, you know, uh, at the end user uh, actually using machines is connecting to and diagnosing systems is going to be much, much simpler. So again, it's going to be not just you can plug in and talk to it. That's one side of it. But when you plug into PLC brand A and PLC, PLC brand B and C and D, they're not only going to have that same uh, channel of communication open, uh, but it's going to be structured in a common way, which is huge. So you're not going to need to get training on uh, EtherCAT and Ethernet PowerLink and Ethernet IP and Profinet um, and, and have maybe a specialist for each of those and all your different tools that you use to, to collect the data or uh, so on and so forth just to diagnose or connect to your system. Uh, you're going to be able to do this in a standard way across platforms. This is huge. Um, so, I mean, we're talking about seriously reduced service costs, seriously reduced training costs, uh, maintenance, so on and so forth. It's it's 
the cost of maintaining uh, machinery is going to go way down because of this. And the simplicity is going to go way up. Okay. Um, on the performance side of things, uh, you know, network stations basically are uh, from, from tests that we have now, uh, you know, the standard's not out yet, but uh, the tests that we have in place now uh, can communicate up to 18 times faster than anything on the market today. 18, 1, 8, 18 times faster. Um, so this means like really new possibilities can be opened up for applications or, um, you know, where we're hosting the PLC in a facility um, or if it's being hosted in the cloud or something like that. I don't know if that's going to happen, but um, when you have 18 times faster than the fastest protocol in the market today, it's uh, it's really fast. So you can do a lot of uh, really creative things and things that need a lot of um, uh, speed, like you know highly synchronized motion applications or uh, highly synchronized control of, of some sorts. You know we're we're going to be able to push our machines to that next level uh, from you know. Uh, a network time uh, perspective. So that's another huge thing, 18 times. <laughs> like that's that's really fast. Um, and then again on the performance side, so OPC UATSN supports networks with tens of thousands of nodes. Uh, so this is uh, pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's more than most applications would, would ever need. Um, but basically, uh, it's it's based on the Ethernet standard, like a lot of field buses are, um, and it, it it benefits from some bandwidth extensions because of that. And you're not going to have any trouble uh, communicating large volumes of data e uh, either. So that means that uh, as we move towards IoT, IIoT, uh, machine vision applications, machine learning AI, where there's lots of data being passed back and forth you don't really have a challenge to implement that anymore. You've got a really nice standard protocol that you can use uh, you know, at the field level, PLC level, plant level, cloud level, and it's gonna be capable of not only running your controller, communicating to your servo drives, communicating to your remote IO, communicating from uh, machine A to machine B, communicating from line A to line B, communicating to your SCADA system, communicating to the cloud, but it's gonna be able to enable you to do new things with all of those communications. So those new things being really creative IIoT applications, really creative applications where uh, previously, you know, data bandwidth was a constriction. Okay, so uh, those are kind of just a short list. Uh, those are the most important ones um, of some of the benefits of OPC UITSN and kind of what you can expect the future to look like. Um, as far as how uh, the implementation of automation systems is going to change with this technology. So we'll take a short break and then close up the episode right after this. All right, so OPC UATSN is... It sounds amazing, right? But it, it's going to resolve a lot of the pain that has been present in the automation market, the automation industry since the late 90s when IEC 61158, um, you know, created the field bus wars more or less. And uh, it's going to be the much needed peace treaty to the field bus wars. It's going to do a, a lot of really powerful things for automation as an industry. So, you know, with the support of nearly every major automation supplier in the world. Again, Rockwell, Siemens, Beckoff, BNR, et cetera, Mitsubishi, Omron, et cetera, everybody. 
you know, with the support of all of these huge, huge players in the automation game, OPC UATSN is going to be hitting the market really, really soon. Um, I know from the BNR side, we've got products coming out, uh, you know, within the next uh, year or two that are going to have OPC UATSN built in and other vendors are, are having similar timelines. Um, when that happens, the automation industry is going to start changing uh, for the better, which is really, really good. So uh, I myself, um, as an automation engineer, as a sales engineer, I'm looking forward to uh, helping my customers implement this technology. I'm looking forward to uh, testing out the products that we have uh, at BNR that are, are going to use this technology. And I think it's going to bring a lot of value to uh, a lot of um, not only OEM machine builders, but also uh, the system integrators that have to deal with a lot of these communication protocols and the end users that have to you know actually manage these machines, uh, especially as time goes on and support kind of dwindles for, for older products. So uh, OPC UATSN is going to solve a lot of headaches that uh, people every day are, are dealing with. And, and that's really powerful. So we're looking forward to that. Um, if you have any questions about OPC UATSN, I'm happy to uh, answer them uh, as best as I can. You can reach me at automationpodcast at gmail.com. The other way that you can reach me is directly on LinkedIn. Uh, so you can just search my name, Corey Dallas, and I'll be happy to connect with you and, and chat with you on, on LinkedIn as well. So in the future, uh, we're going to be diving into some really exciting topics. Uh, the next episode, a little sneak peek, uh, we're going to be looking at long stator linear motor track technology. This is another game changer for automation. So we're, we're hitting the big ones up front. Um, we're going to be talking about IIoT. Uh, we're going to be talking about web-based visualizations. We're going to be talking about cybersecurity, um, a lot of hot button issues. We'll talk about machine vision. Uh, so we're going to be hitting on some really cool topics uh, that you should definitely stick around for. So if you do want to stick around for those, uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, make sure you follow me on LinkedIn, get connected with me as I'll be posting all of these on LinkedIn as well. And of course, if you see my post on LinkedIn, just uh, go ahead and like that and share that for me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and we'll see you next time.